Works better if I turn it on. There we go. Uh, good morning. My name is Paul Erminger. And as we get started on our message, I wonder if you've ever heard of the term dad tax. Are we familiar with dad tax? You should be familiar with dad tax. Because dad tax is when your kid, whatever food you have, there is a small percentage of that food that belongs to dad. And dad tax is a reality that my kids have always grown up with. And and as they've grown, they've tried their hardest and hardest to fight dad tax. But the tax collector always gets paid. All right? That's how it works. And I've had many occasions where I've been out with my kids and they've decided to try to fight against this. One of them was a night where, you know, big spender mode with my four kids. Uh, We're going to go to Speedway and get 79 cent slushies. We're going to go to Wendy's, and you can order anything you want off the dollar menu. And, and then we'll go see a movie, and it's going to be a great night. And I've reached the age where I'm like, okay, I no longer need a gallon of slushy for myself. I just need to tax my kids' slushies a little bit, and I'll be okay. But they were fighting it. And so we're going through the night, and they're doing a really good job keeping it off. And then one of them, one of my girls falls asleep in the car. All right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Your slushy is gone now. And I'm all kinds of celebrating this as I steal it and start sipping on it. And when it comes to food, I'm a little bit of a picky eater, but I'm definitely a texture guy. Like weird textures are are life death to me when it comes to food. And I'm drinking this slushy, and all of a sudden the texture changes. (laughs) Texture shouldn't change on something like this. And especially because I know that what she had, she had chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets, it's not a thick straw either. Like, it's a thin straw. So so this chicken nugget has been chewed up, put back down through the straw. It's marinated in the slushy for a while. Goes back into my mouth. And I had a feeling of death come over me. Like, Like, it's halfway down my throat, halfway into my mouth. But it all has to get out now. And, and, and there, there's just this feeling of like, I just, I, I was done. Like dad tax was over for that night. I no longer trust their food at all. Um, but, but, but there's this sense that, you know, a lot of times the things that we think that are going to mess us up, they, they come from external sources, things that we weren't expecting, surprises, things that we didn't have planned. I did not plan to, you know, enjoy chicken nugget and slushy at the same time. And we think those are the things that mess us up. But Jesus actually teaches something different. That it's not the surprises and the things from the outside that can really mess up our life. It's actually the disgusting, the messed up, the broken things that actually come from within us. We don't need help messing up our life. In fact, most of the mistakes and the problems arise from our own flesh. They arise from our own heart. In Matthew 15, verses 10 through 11, we'll put these words on the screen behind me. Jesus actually says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out from your mouth. And today we're we're in the week two of this series called I Declare War, where we're really giving you, you four keys to to fighting and winning this war that's within yourself. It's not necessarily a war against anyone else, but but I believe that there's a fight to be fought within our own flesh. There's a person that we know that we're supposed to be, and there's a battle within us to become that person. And last week we talked about one of the keys to winning this war against the person that you don't want to be anymore. One, One of the keys was in your thoughts, in the way that you think. There's huge power in the way that you think. It determines your actions and your reactions. There's huge power in what you think. 
Today we're talking about the power of what you say. There's tremendous power and strength and opportunity in the words that we speak. And a lot of this content, I don't believe it's going to be new to you, but I do believe that it's going to be useful for you. Because this is one of those things that I believe we need a refresher on. It's so powerful. I mean, and this is honestly just so close to my heart because what God has done in my own life through this topic, that I'm going to tell you, this, this topic, it's probably going to get taught twice a year, every year at Gulfside Church, because I believe this is so crucial to how we live for God. There's this truth that the words that we speak, they're tremendously, tremendously powerful. And from Jesus' teaching to the apostles' teaching, we're going to see that throughout Scripture, there's this this incredible weight that's given to the authority and the power of our words. And and one of the reasons is it's not the other things that are going to mess us up or defile us in our life, but it's going to be the words that that come from our lips. And Jesus connects that in Matthew 12, 34 to the fact that what we speak is coming from the overflow of our heart. And so one of the best measures of who you are on the inside, who you are as a person, is the words that you say. It's a description of your heart and what's going on, which is challenging and and it is grinding and it might feel like weight on your shoulders, but I don't want it to be that. I want it to be something that you identify and say, if I don't like the way that I'm talking and the person that I am through my words, that God has given you the power and the authority to change the way that you speak. You are not shackled. You are not captured by your words, but you have authority over them and you have authority to change them and to grow out of that. And there's a couple different passages that are great, great instruction. And and one of them is one of the first passages that I ever committed to memory from from the instruction from one of of my mentors. He's like, you got to memorize this verse. This verse is going to help you. And it comes from Ephesians 4.29. The translation that I learned it in says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for the building up of others according to their needs. In the New Living Translation, it says, don't use foul foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. The words you speak over people, it can honestly change the course of their lives. I can rewind in my memory very clear back to when I was a senior in high school. I was about a two-month-old Christian. It was 1999. I was wearing some really fresh white Stan Smith sneakers. Would have been having some Jinko jeans on for those of you guys who are in the 90s. Probably a sublime shirt because it was like half of my wardrobe at the time. And I'm sat at the table in the dining room of Sequoia High School with Frank Madonna, that's his name, Frank Madonna across from me and a girl named Julie whose last name, I have no clue what her last name is, sitting beside me. And and I'm sorry, Julie, I don't know your last name if you're hearing this, but but your words were really important, Julie. This is what happened. They're having a conversation. I'm a two-month-old Christian and and God has dramatically changed my life. And I believe I want to live my life for God, but I don't really know what that means for the future. And she asked me this question. She said, Paul, are you going to be a youth pastor? And I had never formalized that thought in my mind. I wanted to be used by God, but I thought because of my past and my history and who I was, like that, that ministry may not have been an option for me. But as soon as someone like her said, Paul, I, are you going to be a youth pastor? Because I'm suspecting that you might be a youth pastor. I immediately answered, yeah, yeah, I am. Like, and in my mind, like, it was like this starting, I was like, oh my gosh, I can do that. Like, I could do that. Like, God would let me do that. Like, someone else sees that I could actually do that. And it was this, this moment where she looked at me and she said, I could, like, I could see you being a youth pastor. And it changed the course of my life a little bit. 
she very well could have looked at me and said, Paul, are you going to graduate on time from high school? Like, that would have been a, a reasonable question to ask. Paul, like, are you going to change the type of music that you're listening to? Because I hear your dumb music from your 12-inch subwoofers that are behind the bench in your truck every day after school because you play it loud like an idiot. Like, she could have asked that question. It would have been a reasonable question. But she looked at me, and, and there was just enough of something good where she, she asked a question that pushed my future forward in a way that I wasn't thinking it could necessarily go at the time. And I can, I can guarantee you, she does not remember that question, that, that question, that conversation. I don't even remember her last name. But those encouraging words, that, that thought that she saw the possibility in me of being someone who spent my life serving God, that stuck with me. And you can probably roll through the memories in your mind of the times where people encouraged you. And there's certain memories that stick out. If it was a coach who pulled you to the side and said, that was a great play. You put yourself in the right place. You put the energy out. You, 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 you ran hard. You can remember those times. You can remember when a boss at work said, hey, you are doing a great job. You went the extra mile. You can remember these times where someone encouraged you. Maybe even like a sibling in one of those rare instances where they said, wow, you're really good at that. And it sticks with you. Encouragement is something that like it clings to your heart. And one of the reasons is, is we're, we're supposed to receive it. And it means so much to who we are. And it's from this first truth that I want you guys to, to have in your mind this week. Is your words impact other people. It's this simple truth. Your words, they impact other people. And this can be used for great and holy and glorious things. And this can be used for terrible and destructive things as well. Because I know that we have stored in our memory both of those conversations. But by your design, as the pastor says in Ephesians 4.29... Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. And, and I'm not saying you have to be perfect as a person all the time. I'm saying we need to move the needle a little bit. We need to be a little bit more intentional because we know the truth that our words, they impact other people. And we can help equip something, someone for something that they don't even know is ahead of them yet. And the words that you use to encourage someone, they, they might just answer, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. But you may not have any clue that you just helped redirect their life. Our words, they impact other people in a huge way. And your vision of someone else's future impacts them in a huge way. The Apostle Paul is the one who wrote that in Ephesians 4.29. He also writes in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we'll, that we'll put up on the screen behind me. And he says, live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everybody. And I could just live in this part of the passage right here that says make the most out of every opportunity. Because I feel like the Christian church and especially the American church, we are missing all kinds of opportunities. And we're not even recognizing them as opportunities. Because we're so busy with other things. And a lot of times churches have missed the fact that they're here on a mission and a purpose that is time sensitive. That there are, are opportunities that are here one moment and then that opportunity is gone. And, and I, I can live in this, and I try to live this out just in like when I'm in line at places. Like if someone gets stuck next to me in line, like this is my opportunity with you and I'm, I'm going to try to seize it. Last night I was in line at Bed Bath & Beyond getting a coffee maker um, for us. And there's a person behind me wearing a Tony Paco's shirt. All right. Now I am not from Toledo, Ohio, but I'm from, but I lived there long enough to know that the only person who's going to wear a Tony Paco's shirt 
is someone who's from Toledo because you have to be from Toledo to think that that food is edible. Like it's just, <laughs> it's part of the city. So I see his Tony Pockett shirt and I'm like, oh, you, you must be from Toledo. And we start talking about Toledo and my go-to move with guys is like, so what do you do? What brought you down here? So he tells me about it because the common thing is when someone asks you, what do you do? Then they ask you back, what do you do? And I'm like, well, let me tell you about Gulfside Church. Let me tell you about Jesus. Like, like that, that's my move with guys because it pretty much always works Except for he talked to me for like eight minutes about his work, and then he just never asked. And I was like, <laughs> fine. But like, I wanted to step into the opportunity. And, and I get to, you know, and the person in front of me, they're having a problem with their transaction, and I'm staying patient, just talking with him. I get to the, the person who's in front of me, and I was really glad I wasn't being like in a complaining mood today, because the person at the register is someone who comes to Gulfside Church. Yeah, that's right. Don't complain, pastor. Um, so we... I, I see her, and her name's Ruthie. She's an awesome, awesome girl. She started coming here with the store manager from Publix over at Kismet and Del Prado, and, but she works at two places. She's a hard worker. She's a great girl. She sees me, and she sees an opportunity. She turns to her coworker and talking in a voice loud enough that half of the store can hear. She says, hey, this is Pastor Paul. He's from Gulfside Church. I go there when I don't work here on Sundays. And I know the guy right behind me is listening now too. And she's like, it's an awesome church. I love going there. It's always really encouraging. And Ruthie starts doing my job for me. <laughs> All right? But this is what I see. And this happens so often. God calls us to take the first step into an opportunity. And he sees it through. And it won't always happen the way that we expect it to happen. In so many areas of our life, he says, if you start in obedience, doing what you know you should be doing, I will see it full through to completion. But you've got to take that initial step. You've got to begin the opportunity. And God sees it through. And so now not just the guy that I was trying to talk to and his wife that's from Toledo, now co-workers and other people in line are listening to not the pastor talk about the church, but someone who goes there. And it was just an awesome witness to the fact that, that when you begin and when you seize an opportunity, that, that God's going to make the most of it. God's going to use that. And, and in this passage where it says, live wisely among those who are non-believers, make the most of every opportunity. It's not saying to act differently around non-believers, but it's saying you need to recognize that they're on a path, and you're on a path. And what scripture teaches is that their path leads to destruction. And you're on a path that leads to joy and peace and eternal life. And you have to live wisely. You, ha you have to not let bitterness and complaint Soak up space in your life. Because this is your opportunity. Make the most out of it to encourage them. And then it says to be gracious and attractive in the conversation. And sometimes people who've been around church for a long time, when you engage in a conversation like this about non-believers, they, they'll bring up the objection, well, you know what? The gospel is offensive. And so even if we're gracious and attractive, people are going to get offended sometimes. Well, you know what? The, the gospel can be offensive, but you don't have to be offensive. The gospel will do it for you because the gospel teaches us that we are sinful, that we are broken, that we are not approved by God just on our own because of our sin. It separates us from him, but he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we can be restored to a right relationship with him. That is the gospel, and that will offend some people, and that's what the gospel does, but our job is to be gracious. Our job is to Position our conversations in a way where they feel encouraged, where they feel loved, where they hear the truth, and, and, and we allow them to respond to it how they want to. We as Christians, we don't have to work to be offensive. The gospel will do that on its own. We need to work to be gracious. We need to work to be kind and compassionate, forgiving as you were forgiven in Christ Jesus. That's what the word of God instructs us to do, right? 
And so when we have these opportunities, we want to make the most of them. Let your conversation be gracious. Let it be attractive so that you'll have the right response to everyone. You can't, you, when I think of words and I think of these opportunities that we have, one of the other passages that I think is important to this conversation is from Matthew 12, 36, which is following up Jesus' conversation. In 12, 34, he says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then in verse 36, he says this other piece of the teaching that is, that is a hard word. It says, on the day of judgment, we will give an account for every idle word that has been spoken. On the day of judgment, as we stand before God, we will give an account for every idle word that is spoken. And you can't really divide eternity into halves, but if you could, I would say, man, the first half of mine is probably going to be spent going over a lot of words that, that I've spoken before Christ. And, and it's not a punitive thing, it's just one of those things where it says that there's accountability for the words that we speak. And when it says idle word, I want to I focus in our attention to the fact that it says idle words. Words that are accomplishing a purpose. Words that, that, are, that are neutral and not doing something. It's not saying angry words. It's not saying profane words. It's saying words that are just pointless. You're going to be called to account before God. And once again, I'm just wanting to move the needle of just being conscious of the things that we say. That it's not necessarily that what I said was bad. I didn't say anything bad. That doesn't matter. The question is, did you use your words for the purpose that your words were designed for? Because your words, they, they impact other people but one of the other truths is that your words impact the future, not just other people's future, but your future as well. This is the second point that we'll put up on the screen. Your words, they impact the future. Your intentions of what you wanted to say, what you meant to say, those aren't judged, but what you actually said, what you actually did. No one can hear what you wanted to say. Your, your silence, the wrong words, the, the skirting around the subject, there's times where we need to speak something, and I'd say in America, it seems like the hardest thing to speak is encouragement for some reason. To tell someone that they're doing great. To tell someone that you see a future in them. For some reason, it's, it's hard for us to do that. But we need to understand that our words, they, they impact the future of other people. They also, they impact our future. They, they impact the way that we live. And they, it impacts the way that we pray as well. It, this is an interesting thing. One of the passages that we see Jesus teaching about prayer, I, I just think it's so interesting where it includes the details about saying things. It, one of his best illustrations, best, most powerful illustrations about prayer is when he talks about moving mountains. In Matthew, he talks about it twice. In chapter 17 and chapter 21, he talks about how if you believe in faith and you say to this mountain, move, that it'll be moved. And in your own prayer life, if you spend time praying about things, you know that, that there's these two different categories of pray, prayers that I'll say in my head and then prayers that I'll ask out loud. Be because there's two categories, because there's things that it's like, I want God to do this, and then there's things that I'm willing to say that I want God to do. And I think that there's a gap in between the two, because we know that when we begin to say something out loud, it carries a different authority, that if I say out loud, God, I want you to, to help free me from this addiction. I want, you, I want to stop smoking, and, I, and I've been chained to it. I want to stop the, this substance, and I've been chained to it. The, the moment that we start to say that out loud, rather than just in our head, there's something about the way that we're designed as a whole person that when we reach for the cigarettes, we're like, I can't, I can't do that. I've asked God to help me stop this. 
There's part of our faith that says it's, it's more real when I'm asking God when I say it out loud. And I think this is one of the powers of saying, and especially if you're praying with someone else and you pray, God, I want to see you do this. I want to, God, help us get out of debt. And there's this level of accountability that's created by the spoken word of prayer with the other person that says, okay, we're, we're asking to get out of debt. We can't go to Chili's tonight. Like, it doesn't make sense to be praying about this and continue to spend money on a credit card of money we don't have. There's an accountability that's created just amongst people, and that's a natural thing. But there's something in the spiritual as well, that when you speak a prayer in faith and authority, that God responds to it. And, and so many times within settings of prayer circles, as people are praying, and the, the atmosphere is built by one of authority and trust in God, that God has said he'll do this. We're going to believe that he's going to do this. We're going to ask together that he, that he does this. Those are the times that God does miracles. The times where we're afraid, we're afraid to say it out loud, we kind of want him to do it, but we, we just don't really don't believe that it will happen, and we just keep it in ourselves. It, it lacks power, it lacks authority, and it usually lacks a, any action. There, there's power in the spoken word of prayer. And it impacts the way that our future is lived, and it impacts the future of the people around us. When, when we look at the centurion who came to Jesus because his servant was ill and to the point of death, he came before Jesus and, and, and he said, you know, I'm a man under authority. I, I know you said you're willing to come to my house to heal my servant. Thank you for that, but I don't deserve you to enter my home. Just say it and I know it will be done. Just say it, Jesus. I know there's authority in your word when you say it. When you say it, it will be done. And Jesus looked at him and he said, this is greater faith than I found in all of Israel. Which was a bit of like a, a shot to the stomach to the disciples and, and the other Hebrew people in earshot. And he said, it will be done as you, you have said. And the servant was healed. Our, our prayers, as we put them out there, I believe that we see Jesus respond when we're willing to say it and let it known and, and trust in faith that it will happen. There, there's power to this. And it's not just, and it's interesting because the centurion, he had a faith. He asked for something in faith. But the prayer affected someone else. So much of the spoken word, so much of the spoken prayer, so, so much of what we speak, it just doesn't affect us, it affects other people. It creates that sense of accountability that we've asked for something and we expect something. The third passage that I want to bring into our minds as we think about the power of our words, it comes from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, and we'll put this on the screen behind me, where it says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. We, we know this. We, we've seen this. We've seen people who it's like their heart has been broken by spoken words. We, we know that there's tremendous power in what is said. We've seen the effect of bullying in schools and in cities. That, that the spoken word, it influences people in a very heavy way. And, and as the passage said, the tongue can bring death or it can be life. But do you know who you speak to more than anyone else? That's right. You speak to yourself more than you speak to anyone else kind of words are you saying to yourself? The, the studies have shown you speak of an average of 5,000 thoughts to yourself per day. 5,000 times whatever your mindset is and whatever the words that you're saying are influencing who you are and who you're becoming and how you're going to interact with other people. What are you saying to yourself? How serious do you take the words that you're saying? La last week at the conclusion of my message, I talked a little bit about... Um, Teddy Roosevelt, and, and the moment where he had to step across the barbed wire into the war zone, uh, there's another person who was there with him as part 
part of this war, and, and it was Bucky O'Neill, William Owen Bucky O'Neill, and he was one of the members of Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders during the Spanish-American War. Now, now, he was like a Wild West kind of guy. He went out, and he was a sheriff, and he was known for being a fast draw and, and, and for being, being very stern, but also being a risk-taker. He was a crazy risk-taker, all kinds of gambling all th- before he was in, uh, serving in the armed forces and while he was in it. But he was also someone who would just shoot off at the mouth like crazy. Band, if you guys would go ahead and make your way up to the stage, I'm going to begin to wrap this up. Bucky, uh, he, he had said he believed that an officer, while under fire, he, he shouldn't hide, he shouldn't cower, um, but he should be brave and he should stand up. And, and they were under fire from the Spanish, and, and it, his officers and his sergeants were laying in a trench that they had dug, and, and Bucky decided he wanted a cigarette and he wanted to talk to his men. So under the fire of bullets, he began just pacing and smoking his cigarette and talking, and the men were begging him to lay down. And, and he, numerous men reported that this was the sentence that he spoke. He said, the Spanish haven't invented a bullet, ain't invented a bullet that could kill me. Yeah, can you guess what happened? Not long after he, uh, just a moment after he spoke that sentence and turned and continued to talk, through this mouth and this pride that put him in, in that circumstance, uh, the soldiers reported that the shot was so clean that it didn't disrupt any of his teeth in his mouth. That that's where it entered. And his life was ended. I cannot fathom being in a war zone and, and walking and pacing and talking as if there's no danger. As if there's no consequences and as if you're just going to be okay. And he paid the ultimate cost. And, and we talk about words, and we talk about the power of your words. And I feel like there's a sense of it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's just how I joke. It's just how I am. It's just what I say. It's how my family is always talked. It's just who who I am and who I'm going to be. And when we read a passage that says the tongue can bring death or life, those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I feel like it just kind of shoots over our head, the reality of how powerful our words are. And the third thing that I want you to know is that your words, they impact you. They impact you. And you will continue to impact the people around you. Whether you think profanity is bad or not, there's a study that, that showed when someone read even a euphemism of it or the actual word, there was a tangible stress response in the biological system. On the inverse side, that when someone spoke about thankfulness or gratitude, that there was a biological release of dopamine in the brain which is, you know, the, the goal of anti-depression medicine is to increase dopamine, to make people feel better. Biologically, your words change you. They change your temperament. They change the way that you treat people. They change your outlook on the day and on your life. Your words affect you. Spiritually, your words affect you. They affect the people around you. Your words, they matter. And in this fight to become the person we know that we're supposed to be, 
we have to recognize the truth that there is a war with our words. One of the most tremendous places of the power of words is in Jesus' last moments before he died on the cross as there is a thief who is hanging next to him and the thief speaks out to Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. No actions, no time to clean up his life, just this declaration of, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus' response to him is, today you will be with me in paradise. And one of the most powerful things that your words are capable of is that decision that Scripture says is necessary for you to have a fresh start, for you to have a life that's filled with His Spirit leading you and guiding you and healing you and directing you towards eternal life. That moment where you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised Him from the dead, and Scripture says you will be saved. But this is something that you have to believe, and this is something that you have to declare. No one else can do it for you. So one of my encouragements for you is that if you sit here today and you say, I have never made a decision. I have never spoken about my faith in Christ. That today you need to take that step. Today you need to receive the forgiveness that God has wanted to give you and the new life that is promised to you in Scripture. Would you guys bow your heads with me as we pray? And if today you would say, I'm placing my faith and I'm placing my trust in Jesus for the first time, where I I need to make this decision, I believe and I declare Jesus is my Lord. Would you just raise your hand for just a moment so I can pray for you? Amen. Awesome. Praise God. I see you. Awesome. I see you in the back. Awesome. I see you. Lord, I pray for each person here. We believe in our hearts. We declare with our mouths that you are Lord, that you were raised from the dead, that you have paid for our sins, and we rejoice in that truth. And Father, give us the strength and the presence of mind to use our words for the purpose that they were designed for, for building other people up, for changing the the course of people's life just by speaking the smallest encouragement. If we're in line at the store or if we're laying our children down for bed or speaking to our spouse, help us to be mindful of the great opportunity you've given us. And may words be used to win this fight, to become the person you've called us to be. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name.